Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So grab your notes and journal, uh, whatever it is you do this space. We are in the last week of an important series. I think in our church, we're calling this series, Who Cares? And we are wrapping up today this series. We've been exploring the compassion of Jesus, uh, as has been revealed to us in Scripture. Primarily what we've been doing has been exploring uh, this idea that has been modeled for us in the life of Jesus. And I want to take that today and move this over into a space. And I want to tell you kind of the, the position of my heart today. For those of you online or those of you in the room, I almost feel like I want to, I'm talking to you a little bit like a coach at halftime because next week is like the big game, right? And so I, I just sort of a bit of an insider's conversation that I want to have this morning uh, with you this weekend. We're doing it on all of our campuses. And I was, you know, sort of thinking about this. Um, one of the most beautiful trips you could ever take, really, to grow your faith is to systematically read through the four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. So we have four gospel accounts. Matt, same with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And here's what I'm telling people over and over again. I, I'm saying this. If you really want to grow in your faith, here's what I would do. Start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Read all the way through John, which I think goes to chapter 21, and then go back to Matthew 1 and start over. And just do that all year long. And if you'll do that, here's what you'll notice. Something will begin to emerge in your mind and heart, and you'll begin to look into these four pictures of the life of Jesus, and you'll begin to see how God, through Jesus, interacts and relates to people, particularly people in the margins. You'll begin to notice that. I, I, I've made a list of my own life. I share it with you. The forgotten people, the set aside, the abandoned, the broken, the hurting, the misunderstood, which at one point or another, can I just be honest? It's all of us, right? How many of you have ever felt like that ever? We all feel that way at one point or another. And, and what I am captivated by every time I read the Gospels is Jesus' love for forgotten people. And it's a challenge to us. And, and particularly, I think, in this series, we have focused our attention on a particular category of people within this grouping, and I would just say it this way, Jesus has a particularly soft spot in his heart for lost people. For people who have somehow become lost. And, uh, you know, it's not uh, uncommon uh, for sometimes for me to, you know, go to a meeting, go to a coffee, go, go to some conversation, and some of you will say something like this, well, my wife, my son, my daughter, my dad, sometimes you'll say, encourage myself, I've lost my way. And, and I, I think that when you study the Gospels, you find that Jesus has a particularly soft spot in his heart for people who are lost. And in fact, I want to tell you really clearly, Jesus cries over lost people. 
You ever thought about um, what it is that makes you cry? Uh, It was interesting. I was doing some studying, and people who study human dynamics tell us that similar with other things unique to human beings, like our fingerprints or our ears. How many of you know your ears are unique? Some of you right now are going, I know your ears are (laughs) unique. I knew it was in the room. I just wanted to mention it. <laughs> um, people that study this stuff tell us that we have, we have what's called a cry DNA. Isn't that interesting? Like, you have, you have circumstances or situations in your heart in which you are susceptible to tears. And I, I think some of us would define ourselves and, you know, we have loved ones or friends or maybe it's us. We go, I, I cry the drop of a hat. Other people are real stoic. I never cry. And then every now and again, right? And so uh, this week we had our social media channels, the, our comms team reach out and they just asked you, maybe some of you participated in this. What is it that makes you cry? And we got some great responses. There were the serious responses like this. Right now, the situation of our world makes me cry. Amen to that, right? Some of us have said the Ukraine, uh, you know, all the brokenness that's going on in our world, all of the fighting, all of these things. Sometimes they said, I just get overwhelmed and I cry. Um, somebody said, visiting family far away when you have to leave them. How many of you say amen to that? Uh, uh, this is a great response. Some of you said, worship music makes me cry. And I remember years ago, a guy coming in, he, he, he would just, let me say this, I don't mean it disrespectfully, he came in, you could tell he just had some life on him, right? There was some life on him. And he came into the room, and I think he came in not wondering if he'd be welcome, and then he was welcomed, and he felt, and then he just had never encountered the kind of music that we offer. And, and he said, you know, he came up to me after church one time, he said, Pastor, he said, kind of weird, he said, I'm I'm kind of a man's man. And if you look at him, he just looked like a man's man. He goes, but when, when the music starts happening, he said, I get all emotional. And he, then he kind of leaned in. He goes, sometimes I even cry. <laughs> and he was looking at me like if I flinched, I was afraid he was going to punch me in the mouth. <laughs> you know, it was the weirdest kind of a moment there. And that's true that sometimes that happens. There were these other answers too. Some of you said, disrespectful people make me cry. I want to admit, that's not the emotion I have with disrespectful people. I don't know about you. Pixar movies, weddings. Somebody said, Folgers coffee commercials. And I couldn't help but think when I saw that, is that because then you have to drink it? (laughs) All right. Somebody wrote this, Pastor Trevor's love for Tom Brady (laughs) makes me cry. I love that. Um, A lot of you said Hallmark movies make me cry. What's so weird, they make me cry too for a totally other reason. (laughs) Like a month ago, Beth is watching this movie and she's all emotional. Isn't this great? I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of tearing up too. Only for a different reason. (laughs) This past week, the teaching team, they said, so Pastor Dale, seriously, what, what are some times you've cried what are, like, what are things that, that, that make you cry? And I remember a time when the girls were really little, when the movie, how many of y'all remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> and I'm telling you, my, my Beth had taken the girls out. I had the home to myself. It was me and the cat. 
And, and she came home like right at that moment near the end of the movie. And I am having a come apart in that movie. And I remember the girls looking at me like, what is wrong with dad? I remember that. And I just want to say to all the guys in the room, if you've got daughters, this is a moment that'll make you cry right here. That. And then, you know, there's Haley Brand and there's, I call them Ken and Barbie. There they are. And that moment, the daddy-daughter dance moment. Let's move on if we can. (laughs) But you ever thought about what it is that makes Jesus cry? Interesting question, right? Uh, We have in the gospel accounts, we we have two identified times where Jesus gets emotional. And in fact, it says he cries. One of them happens in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. We remember it as the story of Lazarus. And we remember that Jesus was good friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They lived in Bethany. Scholars think anytime Jesus was doing uh, uh, in the Galilee, in the Bethany region of his ministry, he would stay at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then Lazarus dies. And there's this powerful moment where Mary is sort of, she's almost like chastising the Lord because God, Jesus finds out about Lazarus' sickness. He tarries until Lazarus dies and then he goes over to him. And by now it seems too late. And Mary meets him at the tomb and she's saying to him, Lord, if, if you'd have come a little earlier, maybe this whole thing would be different. And he meets Mary at her point of need. The Bible says, here is, here is God in human flesh. Here is the first time he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then interwoven into that story, the shortest verse in all of the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, it just simply says this, Jesus wept. And there's another time I think that we might be tempted to go, would this be a time that Jesus cried? It was in Luke chapter 22, and Luke chapter 22 is actually a Holy Week story. And, and Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room, and there's this moment where he leaves the, the upper room. He, scholars think he walked across the Kidron Valley, walked down into the Garden of Gethsemane, and we remember it as that moment where he was saying all those anguishing prayers. You know, Lord, if, if it's possible, he said, let this cup pass from me. I think that's the most courageous prayer in all of the Bible. And he said, but not my will, right? Your will be done. And remember when he's praying and he's asking the disciples, don't, don't tarry, pray for me. My heart is in anguish and in travail. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says this, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly even, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. The medical term for this is actually, it's called hematohydrosis. It's a thing. And we might argue that with all the emotion and weight of circumstance, that maybe that was a place where Jesus cried. But there's one other place guaranteed where it says it. And I want to read it to you. It's, it's an actually, I, I think what we would say is the story of this day. It's the story of Palm Sunday. And, uh, In this story, uh, we pick it up in chapter 19 and verse 28. Take a listen and see if you can see the moment that we're talking about. It said, after Jesus had said what he said, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And 
as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, now go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, he said, and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say to them, you know, it's the Lord who needs it. And so those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners did ask, why are you untying that colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And so they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread out their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And this is what they said, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus responded and he said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, stones are going to cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, here it is, He wept over it. And he said, if you, Jerusalem, if even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies are going to build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now think with me for a moment about this. This is probably like the quintessential story of Palm Sunday. Like this is sort of the epicenter. It's the commencing, the beginning of Holy Week. And it begins with all this celebration. And just in a few short hours, in a few short days, the very people who are crying out that Jesus would be glorified, calling him king of kings, he's then, these are the same people who are shouting for him to be crucified. And most of all, you know, when I think about this, this is a passage in the Bible. This is a text where where people all over the world on this day read this story. And we're, we kind of know it as this great story of Palm Sunday, but woven within that is like this whole other thing. I, I can tell you, I've, I've been in church, as you'd imagine, a long time. And before I was doing church, I was like you, a part of church. And we did that for a long time. That was the tradition I come out of. And I can tell you that I, I can almost recite to you uh, by memory, the story of Palm Sunday, but I don't often remember that one part that's alluded to here, where Jesus is riding in, he sees the city, and this is what he, it says. He wept. He cried. And on this side of religious history, here's what I want you to know. It's easy for us. It's easy for us to just look at the history and let it remain just history. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Scholars would point at this and they would go, here's what Jesus was emotional about. He knew 
that what was coming in A.D. 70 was the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's sort of saying it in his prayer. There's going to come a day when enemy is going to encamp around you. They did in A.D. 70. There's going to come a day when no stone is going to be left on top of another. It happened in A.D. 70. But here's what I want you to know. There's something underneath that that we should notice. And he cries and he weeps. And I believe he's weeping over the lostness of his city. And like I'm saying and like I'm pointing to today, Jesus has a particularly soft spot for people who are lost, spiritually lost. We began our series, um, and, and I teed this whole series up many weeks ago now with a message I just called Lost and Found. I was sort of reminding us that lost is a thing, that just as you and I can lose our cell phone and our keys or our wallet, we can sometimes get lost. People get lost. I've mentioned, sometimes you will say that of yourself or say, someone, I'll be in a conversation. Tell me about your son. Uh, he's kind of lost his way right now. Tell me about, tell me about how's mom. Mom is not good. She's, she's, she's lost her way. And, and this is a thing. And uh, it, it's important that we, we remember that. And, and just because I said that loss is a thing, we, of course, we want to remember, and this is what I said in this first message in the series, found is a thing. It's important to remember that those things kind of run together. And what I was trying to get our, us across for us in this series is that maybe when God looks at the world, he doesn't see so much right or wrong, left or right, up or down. Here's what he sees. He sees lost, and he sees found. As Floridians, right, we, we know what it is to every now and again be confronted with a story of somebody going out in the ocean and not coming back. They go out, they don't come back. Some, sometimes a boat comes out, goes out, and then two days later they're going, hey, somebody's lost. It's not uncommon to read that story. I, I shared a story years ago, a few years ago, where um, I was fishing with some of my friends. Actually, it was, it was two of my friends and then uh, my soon-to-be sons-in-law. And we went out deep sea fishing one time with my friend Kenny on his boat. We were, we were about nine miles out. Seas were rough. Kenny's got a big boat, man. And we were just powering through all these waves. And I was sitting on the side of the boat talking to Kenny. And I was doing probably what I should not do. We're nine miles out in the ocean. And right at the moment where I let go of what I was holding on to to get blood back in my hand, he hit a wave and I launched out. Gone. And I can remember like, you know, going off the side of the boat and thinking, if I don't kick the boat, he's going to go right over me. And I thought, this is life or death. It was super scary. And as I'm flying through the air, I could see Brandon, who I've known forever. And he's looking at me going, it was nice to know him. <laughs> and I could see my son-in-law who was going to get married here in a couple of, of weeks. It would have been nice to know him. You know, and they threw the rope out. In fact, uh, after the story, I said at nine o'clock, uh, Kyle 
was in the boat. This is Brandon's brother. And he said, whenever you tell that story, you forget that I'm the one who threw you the rope. (laughs) And I told him, I can't remember because you were in the front of the boat throwing up. So I (laughs) tend to forget that. And so anyhow, but they threw this rope out. I, I, I got in. I'll never forget. They pulled me back into the boat. And Kenny said, come here. I want to show you my, my, my GPS. We had drifted almost a mile. And it was just like, my gosh, you just see how people can disappear. But I want to remind everybody in this room, almost like a coach at halftime, right? This, this idea, Jesus cries over people who are spiritually lost. I don't ever want our church to forget that. I don't ever want us to forget that. You know, Holy Week is a reminder to us that um, none of us come here to stay. It's a reminder to us that, you know, when you think about it, I I told the 9 o'clock service, the earth is one big VRBO. You're checking in, but you're eventually going to what? check out. That's true. Yesterday, um, we had this just, it was a phenomenal day yesterday, and even getting grilled, uh, it was just phenomenal. And I had a friend that reached out to me that I've gotten to know over the last year, and she reached out across the week, and she said, Pastor Dale, she said, are you going to be at the Easter egg hunt on on your West Campus? And I said, yeah, I'll be there all morning. She goes, She goes, I have a surprise for you. And this is a friend that I've gotten to know over the last year because I knew her husband when he was a boy. And this past fall, he was killed in a work-related accident right after he got married and right after he learned he was going to be a father. And yesterday... um, my friend Alexa showed up and she said, I'm, I want to bring you my son and I want you to see him. That's little Morgan. And uh, I want to say a word here. I ha- I'm so glad I have sunglasses on. Because my heart was breaking in that moment. And it's just a reminder, right? I mean, life and death, it's paper thin. And God loves and his heart leans toward people who are spiritually lost. In fact, um, when I read the scriptures, I see an urgency about it. We could quote John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but you know we would all have an everlasting life. Or John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Romans 5, 5, Romans 5 8, for God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. God has a heart that leans toward lost people. Years ago, when Beth and I were beginning our ministry, we served a large church in in Martin County. And 
we were just started. We hadn't been married that long, and I was an associate pastor, and Beth was serving and doing student ministry there. And in the summer, we, we took these kids off to do a mission trip. They'd never done that before. We just kind of created this tradition there, and we, we took them off. And, and this we said we went up, I can't even remember, I think it was North Georgia or South, or South Carolina somewhere, and, and we were doing um, home repair, and we were out in this spot, just doing, you know, ministry and work for people who are in a rough place. And at the end of the week, we, we took the kids to a mall. Remember when you would go to a mall, like a mall is a place where there are, are stores. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do it online. And, um, I'll never, for, I'll never forget this because, um, they had worked so hard all week long and we, we took them to this mall. We, we walked this big group, either like 40, 50 kids. And we took them in and we said, now you have two hours. You can go do whatever you want. You're going to meet me here in two hours. And so of course they disappeared. And then Beth and I are walking around. It's like the first moment we'd had by ourselves, you know, in, in two weeks and, and, or in, a, in, in that whole week. And, and we were walking by the, 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 the uh, rec, you know, kind of like the playground place in the mall. And right when we were walking by that, there's this young woman and she screams at the top of her lungs. She goes, I can't find my child. And just screamed this out in the mall. And it was almost like everybody just went, just stopped. And all of a sudden, everybody is looking for this baby. I mean, we don't even know what the little baby is, but we're all trying to look like some, somebody separated, this sort of thing. And I'll never forget, I'm, I'm looking around, you know, trying to, everybody's on this, you know, panic. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. It's super scary. And I look over and, and the recreational area leads into the food court. And I look in the food court and under one of the bars to, you know, where you would order food, there is this little girl like stuffed up in the corner just looking afraid and I thought well that doesn't look right and I walked over and there's that weird moment right when you're trying to say hi I'm safe hi I'm okay don't run anywhere and we're trying Beth is trying to connect and there's this reunion I still remember that moment and I have to just say I wonder if that's how God thinks about people who are far from him I can't find my child. I want you to know there's urgency in our God around that. I, I want to say to you, this is sort of not coach to team. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the day to do it. This is a day to say, Lord, I, I need it to be clear and clean. Don't don't mess around with that. Don't, don't be like so many who go to church. You know, the thing for me, whenever I preach familiar passages of text, it's never for new people. It's really the, for the ones who've heard it that make me nervous. And I, I don't ever let your religion be inherited faith. We all have to stand before God. And so maybe today is your moment to say, Lord, I, I've been worshiping, I've been coming, I've been learning, but today, God, I'm going to step across the line of faith, and I want you to be my Lord and leader, my forgiver and my friend. This is what this whole thing is about. But I want to say something else. There is an urgency that the church never forget its central mission. And not only is there urgency there, there's strategy around it. 
And you know what God's strategy is? Can I be honest? It's us. It's us. God wants us to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lives within us. His one and only strategy has always been, and this is the weirdest thing, and we could, we could argue, it's his church. It's the bride of Christ. It's one person telling another person where to find the bread. And I, and I just want to come as a coach and remind you, next week is the single biggest Sunday of the year for the church. It's the moment. You'll hear me say it next week. It's the moment that distinguishes the Christian faith from every other faith on the planet. Because we don't believe in a historical, you know, kind of a thing. We believe in a God who was assassinated for the sins of the world and a God who came out of the grave to defeat death. That's what we believe. But the Bible says it this way. For, for other people to believe, someone has to tell them. Someone has to invite them. Someone has to point the way, and that's us. When our church was just beginning and we finally got to the place where we could build this building, uh, we had people in the church at that time, it was way smaller, and we had them write the names of family or friends that are far from God on stones that we poured into the foundation of this building. And every now and again, somebody will introduce themselves in, to me in the, in the lobby and they'll say something like this, my name is Rick. And I understand there's a rock with my name in it, on, in the foundation. And, and this is the thing. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I, I just want to, we're going to close in a song, and I want to give you a space to pray for the people you know that have not yet said yes to Christ. And then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to invite them next week. And we're going to have a moment of celebration. But this is our moment to think team and to be all in. And once you've done that in this beautiful song, don't miss your opportunity one more time on this Palm Sunday to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. God, would you come and do to us what we need to have you do? Remind us about the mission of your kingdom. That as this week, I believe people who are far from you will experience spiritual uh, tremors where they are reminded that they're created in your image and people who are far from you, God, to have these moments, I think this week, when they feel like maybe there's something more, would you use us to do our part to invite them so that they may know what we are discovering ourselves. You are good and you are God. This is our prayer. Amen. You know, Lord, we're never going to understand that one of the ways you have wired the world together is that we partner with you to help your heart not be sad. That's humbling. 
And God, we learn in scripture too that what makes you glad and what makes you rejoice is when a sinner repents and comes to salvation. And so God, give us watchful eyes, give us watchful hearts this week as we're out and about in our community in this world and with all of the aspiration, with all of the activity of Easter, Lord, let us be people at work for your kingdom's business till every single person knows where they can find salvation. This we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said.